welcome back to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. This is uh, not an episode that is dedicated or around uh, my series, The Stevens for the Insight, which you guys can definitely go back and listen to. I have six episodes out of that out now. If that interests you, where I do a very, very thorough and kind of incisive and detailed analysis on everything that happens in the world of football with a keen eye on what happens on uh, what goes around or what happens in, inside the world of the Premier League in England. But uh, this episode is going to be more around uh, covering the cup matches that happened in the AFL Cup, as well as covering the um, the fixtures that are to come on Boxing Day, which is often, you know, a very, very, I guess, dramatic and also really uh, shady, I guess, in a way. Not really a, a fixture or a match week that you can often predict the results correctly. I feel like this is one of the weeks where you know that anything that you thought would happen in the normal world of football is not going to happen on that particular match day. And uh, I feel that we're going to see that again, probably, because the Premier League, especially since uh, many teams have, of course, postponed matches and players that are suspended and injured more than we typically see in a Premier League season, I think that's going to continue to cripple some of the best sides, which means the weaker oppositions will have more of an opportunity to really express themselves and to take it to the or take it to the uh, take the bigger teams to the sword and put them to up to the test. You know, normally we see bigger teams roll over the smaller sides with comfortable fashion. I think that's changing a lot, a lot now in football. I think uh, many teams in, in world football across any league, to be honest, are the standard has definitely improved in terms of the weaker sides are being able to compete with the better sides, whether that's tactically or in terms of athleticism or even talent in certain players. So I think that creates for more competition, just simply more entertainment for the fans, which is obviously the entire goal of the football at the end of the day. So with that in mind, uh, let's get straight into the, to, into the action. And I'd just like to say Merry Christmas to all listening. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa, if that's what you celebrate. And uh, I hope you guys have, a, have had and will have. So have had a lovely 2021 and will have a lovely 2022. I will definitely do an episode before the turn of the year. So do not worry. I will be able to speak to you guys about you know the the new prospects of football coming into next into the next uh, year. So, look a lot more to discuss in the future. Let's just say that. But moving swiftly on into the EFL Cup, which uh, had many fixtures in it and many many moments of chaos and simply you know just some absolute madness occurring. And none none other than starting with the game that happened between Arsenal and Sunderland. And it was a game that really was only going to have one winner. I don't think the Sunderland side has beaten Arsenal in forever. And that's obviously counting the times that they were actually in the Premier League and played Arsenal regularly in the Prem. But uh, Arsenal won this game 5-1, a game I thought would finish 3-1 to Arsenal. So definitely I knew Arsenal would win. But the question was more of how many goals would they score, not so much would they win the match. Because this game was a comfortable victory for them. And this is the first time that I'm using that word and it's actually applicable to what actually happened. Because... Arsenal were extremely dominant, extremely uh, organized, and that obviously led them to winning in a very easy fashion. They even allowed youngster Charlie Patino, if you know, you know, to score in the 91st minute for Arsenal. I think he's making his debut this game. Correct me if I'm wrong, Arsenal fans, please let me know. Don't slaughter me if I got that wrong. But, I mean, Arsenal had 19 shots and 10 of them were on target. Alongside that, they had 69% procession, and they also had 619 passes to Sunderland's 278. Now, Arsenal, who especially recently, and especially playing at home, are always likely to have a lot more possession. But sometimes, as we've seen, especially the post in the post-Banger era, we've seen an Arsenal side that are incapable of playing those incisive passes that are able to break down and able to cut open defenses. 
But as of recently, and I say within the last two or three months or so, we've seen a uh, turn of a new leaf, I guess, a new a new lease of life, a new breath of life into Arsenal. And they're playing a lot more fluid and attacking football, which allows them to score goals more regularly, uh, which means that they beat teams by bigger margins than what we used to see them do. So, or at least used to, meaning in the last four or five years. Uh, goals from Eddie Nketiah, who got three goals in this game, his first ever hat-trick for Arsenal, which was a massive feat for him, a player that's clearly, you know, flirting with leaving the club and been in and out of the side and kind of struggling with, you know, getting along with the, the manager in some ways and not really fitting into the current Arsenal mold. Obviously, he's still loved by the fans, but clearly there's some behind the scenes and, you know, background workings that aren't really going in his favor. But with that said, he definitely played a brilliant match. He scored some really good goals, including the final one, which allowed him to get the hat-trick in the 58th minute. A very nice build-up play from Arsenal down the right-hand side and across into Eddie Nketiah himself with a really good back-heel finish to make it 3-1. Uh, 3-1, what am I saying? Was it 3-1? No, to make it 4-1 at that time for Arsenal. I can't read. Uh, Nicolas Pepe also scored in between the time period that Eddie Nketiah scored his third one. So just before Eddie Nketiah scored his third, Nicolas Pepe made it 3-1 for sure for Arsenal. Uh, and he's also a player that's been rumored to leave and, you know, a player that Arsenal are looking to just, you know, get off the chopping block or put him on the chopping block basically and get rid of him because he's not really lived up to his price tag nor to his, um, I guess, potential or necessarily the the level of expectation that they had of him as Arsenal fans, which is fair, but that happens many times. Uh, I don't think players from Ligue 1 typically excel in the Premier League. We don't often see it. I think the last time we've seen it is probably my favorite player, Eden Hazard, and that might be the last time we've seen a player come from Lille in particular, go to the Premier League and really shine. Of course, there's been Dimitri Payet, but I mean a player that's really, you know, stamped his authority and was in the Premier League for a long time. So, um, that's why I say that. But just to say that Arsenal were very convincing in their victory, and they now move on into the semifinals where they will play against Liverpool in a two-legged tie, which is going to be a very, very tasty fixture. Let's just, I have to say, I mean, Arsenal are on good form right now, but I don't think that they beat Liverpool on any day of the week at the moment in time. I think Liverpool are too, too, too well-built and uh, too well-oiled of a machine to get beaten by an Arsenal team of any strength, of any level of form. That's just my opinion. We move on to the next next day, which was on Wednesday, the Wednesday fixtures, which is between Brentford, Chelsea, Liverpool versus Leicester City and Tottenham versus West Ham. Brentford versus Chelsea, a game I finished 2-0, a game I actually thought Chelsea would lose, to be very honest with you. And clearly my, uh, my, um, my hopes, or not my hopes, but my prediction were incorrect, and I'm happy about that. I'm happy it went against what I thought it would do because obviously I wanted Chelsea to win this game, but by me saying that they weren't going to win, I was kind of doing a bit of a reverse psychology and clearly it worked because Chelsea won this game in uh, not the most convincing faction faction fashion the way that we saw Arsenal win but definitely in a way to say that you know they're picking up some momentum and players are coming back into form young players are getting their debuts such as Jude Sunsup Bell a 17 year old from Chelsea's academy alongside or alongside Harvey Vale a very promising young talent from the Cobham Academy or La Cobham as we call them as Chelsea fans as we call it as Chelsea fans academy and uh, there's also the young, the the debut of uh, Javi or Javi Simons, I believe, or Simmons Simons. I mean, oh, there's a player on PSG within the same name, so I always mix them up. But uh, yeah, they all played really, really well. I mean, especially Harvey Vale, who made a definitely made an impact and showed us what he's made of, and proved to us that we clearly are missing something currently with our front men because he gave us something we haven't had in a while. And obviously, he's making his debut, so it shows you that. Uh, even in his in his first appearance, he's doing things we haven't seen from players who have played many games this season for Chelsea. So Chelsea went 2-0, as I said. 
an own goal from Pontesi Hansen after some brilliant footwork. I mean like Neymar-esque footwork from Kante. If you guys haven't seen that goal that Chelsea scored against Brentford in the EFL Cup, in the quarterfinal, the first goal that Chelsea scored, you have to see it because Kante's on the right side, comes off the bench and just, I don't know, does a little dancey dance with his feet basically, beats two defenders, plays it off to Reese James who swings it into the box and Jansen, the uh, Brentford captain, ironically, uh, puts it into his own net and it ends up being one nothing to Chelsea. And only five minutes later, another substitute came on in the form of Christian Pulisic. Basically, the, the, the LeBron James of soccer. If you guys have heard that, you you, got, you have to go watch that. That's, that's extremely funny. I'll leave a, a link to that at the, following the end of this uh, this episode. But yeah, um, Christian Pulisic winning the penalty for Chelsea. And uh, that made it 2 nothing because Jorginho, who, I mean, for me, is never in doubt when he stepped up to the penalty spot. At least for Chelsea, he's been excellent. I don't know about Italy. But for Chelsea, he's been really, really good. Uh, he scores it again and, you know, makes it 2 nothing for us. And it looks like a comfortable victory when it obviously was not to be because Chelsea were suffering, especially in the first half. But uh, good news for Thomas Tuchel, and I think that with the players returning, that will only get better. And this might be the worst of our of our poor run of form. And uh, up until now, we've seen Chelsea, you know, really kind of keep a consistent level of not terrible performances and not great performances, but right in the middle where you don't suffer too much and you don't succeed too much. So I guess it's the perfect sweet ground of being in a rough patch. And uh, they move on to play against uh, Tottenham, which is going to be a really, 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 really tasty fixture in the semifinal. Um, and of course, that just gives away who beat West Ham in the uh, in the other EFL Cup game as well. But I will get to that in a minute. But just to say Chelsea win this game 2 nothing, and they will look to continue to swarm against Aston Villa on the unboxing day, which will also be a very tricky fixture. Uh, definitely the Conlander has not been that kind to Chelsea this season, that's for sure. But we move on. I'm certain that they were prepared for that going into the uh, into the season earlier this year. So we we move on, on to Liverpool versus Leicester, which finished 3-3. A thrilling, thrilling match. A match that had many, many goals and actually had Leicester up 2-1. And after goals from Jamie Vardy, and then Madison put Leicester up 3-1. And following that, it ended up becoming a 3-2 match as uh, Diogo Jota, who they're calling now the new Luis Suarez at Liverpool, which I think is absurd because you can't compare those two guys. There's a, two different breeds of people or players, in my opinion. But Jota making it 3-2. And then in the 95th minute for Liverpool, a last kick, a last heap of faith up, lumped on the pitch. Minamino with a perfect touch, man. A brilliant touch. Looking like Shinji Kagawa at uh, Borussia Dortmund S. That's the last time we've seen a Japanese, or I've seen a Japanese player that's in, atta- in, in an attacking position be so brilliant um, going forward, you know, and playing for a big side like Liverpool. So Minamino stepping up there and scoring a beautiful finish to make it 3-3. Of course, I mean, the irony of it is that he ended up missing a penalty when it went to penalty shootouts which is something that happens immediately after a draw in the EFL Cup, is what I've just realized. And um, it, it was went to Men's Street, the penalty shootout. And, of course, uh, Liverpool, who typically are very good at penalty shootouts, especially at home, had uh, all, their, all their players score their penalties, barring Minamino. And uh, Ryan Bertrand missing for Leicester meant that uh, Liverpool could go on and win. Uh, I believe Leicester had one other player miss the penalty as well. And aside from that, Leicester... We'll probably be looking for, at this game as a game that they definitely should have won, and it should have been one that they shouldn't have uh, given away such a you know a, a big lead. It was Luke Thomas who missed the other penalty for Leicester, who's also just coming back into into his rhythm, into his form at at, uh, at left wing back slash left back for Leicester City, 
and it's uh, it's not really a great result. I mean, Brendan Rodgers definitely was looking for a more sweet or, I guess, promising homecoming back to the club that he used to manage. And uh, Leicester are now out of the AFL Cup as well, so they're just going to focus on the Conference League, of which their manager has never heard of, apparently, and uh, focus their attention mainly on the FA Cup, which I believe they're still in, and the uh, the Premier League. So those will be the two main things that they look at. But we move on into the final game of the EFL Cup quarterfinals, which was between Tottenham and West Ham. And this game was quite an interesting game, for sure. I mean, from the minute one, you could see that both teams were really up for the up for the test. They were really up for the fight. They were looking to really, exp- I guess, express themselves, but also dismantle and, and just simply uh, rip apart their opposition. They were very hungry, very, very vicious, very aggressive sides. Especially with Conte now at Tottenham, you can see that they have a new way of looking at the game and not really trying to be so passive and more looking to be on the front foot from the minute of the, uh, the moment the game starts, should I say. But uh, goals from Steven Bergvine, which was uh, which was the first goal for Tottenham in the game after some really good build-up play. And then a goal that canceled out, that was by Jared Bowen, who scored an even better goal, arguably the goal of this entire uh, you know um, round of fixtures in the quarterfinal with a really good swivel and finish. You guys have to see that goal. If you haven't, it was a brilliant, looked like Lewandowski. Kind of in a little way. I know it's obviously not the same, but when you think of back-to-goal strikers or back-to-goal finishes, that's instantly who your mind goes to. And that's what we saw with Jared Bowen. And then Lucas Moura, only two minutes later, made it 2-1 for Tottenham. And that was all she wrote in that game as Tottenham wrote out 2-1 winners and 2-1 victors. And they played Chelsea in a game that uh, it's going to be, like I said, extremely, extremely interesting. Of course, we have two back three systems. We have a former Chelsea manager coming back to the bridge to look to face his former side, a side that he obviously fell out with in terms of the board and also with some of the fans and with some of the players. So there's definitely some uh, some history and not necessarily the greatest of history, although he won us the Premier League. So, of course, we love him. But in terms of, uh, you know, the, the way he left, it's definitely not been the, the best. And there's definitely a bitter taste in both Conte's mouth and Chelsea's mouth. So we will see how that plays out and how that goes down. But uh, we move on onto the Premier League and the Premier League fixtures coming up on the 26th of December. And uh, we have many, many good games. I mean, we don't have a big blockbuster like we saw last weekend with Liverpool or Tottenham, but we do have games that could definitely be banana skins for many of the bigger sides in the Premier League. And I think that will prove to be quite entertaining and interesting for, you know, the neutral and also even just the, the supporter of that of said bigger clubs, quote unquote, even the smaller clubs. If you, if you support a, a club that's not winning trophies consistently, these fixtures can also be ones that you could look to pick, to, to pick up points and to win despite the fact that there might be tradition or history of you losing, you know, because history is meant to be broken, and often it is. So, as we see here with the first game of the uh, the Premier League weekend is between Norwich and Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal, who are on, on a brilliant run of form, I must say, on a absolute fantastic run of form. I think they're going to win this game 2-0. It will be a very simple victory. I mean, they're playing away from home, and they actually have a decent away record this season, Arsenal. So, I expect that to continue. Um, so they're going to win that game 2-0. I am also going to suggest that Martinelli will score in this game as well. And I think maybe even a goal from the likes of uh, another, I don't know, an Odegaard, for example, or maybe a Saka will probably score as well. Just, just that youth, that youthful U23 merchant type of core, as they say. Uh, the, you know, the youngings, the babies of the Premier League continuing to show us that they're playing like grown men despite being so young. And I think that will continue in this game as well. And we move on to a really, really, really good fixture, which is going to be between uh, two London clubs, North London versus South London, uh, Tottenham versus Crystal Palace at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, a game that is traditionally full of entertainment and goals and just simply 
a bunch of action that's really going to keep you exhilarated and interested. I mean, it always does. Whenever I watch Kyrie Kane play against uh, Palace, there's always a bit of a curse there. So it always makes me laugh. But I do think this game will finish in a draw. It could be definitely a Tottenham win as they're playing at home. So, you know, they might, they're going to have momentum after playing a good game against Liverpool at home as well. In the last week, an episode, or in, sorry, in the previous episode, I did definitely uh, discuss that and, and speak about why that game was so interesting and why you guys should also go back and listen to it and hear my thoughts on the on the match as well, which I think will probably be, we'll see shades of that same form of or same type of Tottenham in this game as well, which I think is why they're definitely going to look to come out strong from the front foot as they often do and look to the press Crystal Palace into giving the ball away and making mistakes, which is exactly what Tottenham made Liverpool do. And that's how they were able to score. I think the same thing will happen again in this game. And that might be why the Oz will see four goals. It could be for Tottenham alone. It could be a draw. But like I said, we'll see. But I, I'm expecting a draw. I don't think Palace are just a side that you push away or you brush aside. This, I don't think their league position is really representative of their talent or their um, their actual ability or cohesion or chemistry as a squad. And I think the Premier League can do that where you become deceived by the place that they're in in terms of the standings. And you kind of forget about what they're actually able to do on the field. So I think this game is going to be very, very good. It's one I would definitely keep a keen eye on. Keen eye on. I, I suggest you guys do the same. Uh, moving on to Manchester City versus Leicester City, which is always a cracker as well. This is another game I know is going to, is going to cause a lot of commotion and just a lot of moments of, uh, you know, of action and the excitement again, as I love to say. But a game I'm predicting will finish 2-1 to, uh, to Manchester City. Uh, I think City will win this game marginally. I don't think Leicester are going to be at the you know the side they're going to get battered four nothing, five nothing as we've seen City do against Leeds and now against the Newcastle in their last two games. Uh, I think Manchester City will have too much for Leicester. I just think that they're firepower going forward and the way that Guardiola has them in this rhythm at the moment is just something spectacular. I don't see how they uh, drop points in this game, especially as they're playing at home. I think they're going to find a way to win. Although Leicester have a really good record at Manchester City Stadium, so. Well, you know, you never know what happens. This could also be a banana skin for Manchester City. We will see. But uh, I think Leicester will be in a bit of a, a, a down slope, I guess, because of that. Or down down spirit, down spirited because of how uh, the proceedings went at Anfield in the EFL Cup. But I'm certain that they'll look to bounce back, which we might see directly in this game. So, of course, don't take my uh, my prediction for, for what it is in terms of, you know, it's most... Uh, in terms, of, in terms of looking at it, as if it's the be-all, end-all decision, but I, I just have a feeling that City will continue to win, even against a side that's often a bogey side. And we move on to Aston Villa versus Chelsea. Now, this is going to be a really, really difficult game for Chelsea. And Chelsea fans, I know you guys can agree with this. Going to Villa Park is never an easy task for us. It never has been, and it never will be. It's always a scrappy one nothing, two one, two nothing, one one, nil nil type of match. It's never. A game where you think, ah, oh, this is going to be a guaranteed three points. We go to the stadium, bop the ball around, then we're going to score goals and go home. And for that reason is why I'm going to go for an Aston Villa 2-Chelsea 1 result. Um, I'm only predicting Chelsea to lose so that I can reverse psychology this. Because in my heart is telling me that Chelsea actually will win this game. Especially with Lukaku coming back and hudson Adoy, who I'm not the biggest fan of. But I know what, what uh, he adds to the team. And I can see why he's become so useful and pivotal to our success. And with that in mind, I'm definitely going to go for a Villa win so I can kind of get the opposite effect of that to happen. But it actually would not surprise me if we were to see any three result, whether that's a Villa win, a Chelsea win, or a draw. Uh, I think Gerrard and what he's done at Villa already, only being there for five or six games, has been something sensational, something breathtaking that must be remarked and must be, uh, you know, I guess, um, gawked at. But I think this game will finish 2-1 to Villa, in quotations, and... Uh, 
Um, we'll see what happens, but I, I mean, I think with Chelsea's uh, return of form, I guess, and return of players, we should definitely get a better performance from the boys, and hopefully we see that. And we move on to the final game of the Premier League match day, because other fact fixtures such as Liverpool versus Leeds, uh, amongst many others, Manchester United, I believe, are also the game is also postponed. So we have uh, only only six games, or yeah, only six games that are actually being played. And obviously, that's not the most uh, wonderful thing you want to hear. But uh, like I said, it is what it is. That's the Premier League at the moment. And of course, the league has continued to be controversial with their decisions. I am mistaken. There is one more game that is being played. Newcastle versus Manchester United. Man United are playing. So I will definitely discuss it after the Brighton versus Brentford game. This is the penultimate fixture of the Premier League match day. Um, I'm going to go for a Brighton 0, Brentford 1, uh, Brentford win. I think Brentford will be too much for Brighton. I don't see how Brighton score goals anymore. And I think they've really lost form recently, Brighton. I know they might even pick up a draw in this game, but they won't win because Brighton, you can see, look ravaged at the moment. I don't know. They look depleted. They looked a bit shot of confidence. Graham Potter is still a brilliant manager, but I don't think that he can rescue the team the way that we've seen other managers like Klopp at Liverpool when he first came in or, you know, other examples of that or Pochettino at Spurs. But I just think that Brighton at the moment are going through a bit of a rut, and that rut might continue against, especially against a Thomas Frank side that really, really, really is always up for the occasion and really loves to and loves to to attack the weaknesses of their opposition. They're very, very good at that, and I think we're going to see that again in this game. And that's why I'm going to go for a Brentford win again. It could be a draw, but I think Brentford will win. Probably a penalty or maybe a set piece that will lead to a Pontus Janssen header, something or Vitali out goal as well. But um, I'm going to go for a one nothing Brentford win there. And now between Newcastle and Manchester United, the game that I just discovered was actually happening because I was thinking it was going to be cancelled because of the current uh, cases surrounding United. But clearly United are, are, are uh, fit and ready to go. And I'm going to go for a 3-1 United win. I think United will win this game and actually will be the first game that they score more than one goal in underneath Ralph Rangnick's, um, I guess, his, uh, his, two, his uh, tenure. And I think Newcastle will struggle as they've been struggling since the beginning of the season. I think Ronaldo will score. Uh, I think United will look uh, like the United that we United fans will hope to see for the rest of the season for once and for all. I don't think Newcastle will pose any threats, will pose any real questions. Newcastle look destined to get relegated at this point. So I think this game will solidify that and put the nail in the coffin. But the final thing I want to mention is just a quick mention to the Serie A. With the event is slowly creeping up the table after winning 2 nothing against Cali. In the Serie A, um, they now currently sit in fifth place after being at least like 10th or so only a couple of weeks ago. Currently, they are 12 points off the top and uh, only four points off fourth place. So clearly, they are climbing back up into form. And I was hoping that wouldn't happen because I'm not the biggest Juventus fan anymore now that they got rid of Ronaldo. But I'm happy for them. If you're a Juve fan, of course, that's a really good sign. That means that you guys are progressing and going back in the upward uh, trajectory or direction that you are expected to go in. And that's uh, lovely to see. But we move and we look at the Inter game, which finished one nothing for Inter, which means that Inter now stay at top of the table and have stabilized that position as they sit four points above the second place Milan, who beat Empoli 4-2 away from home after goals from Frank Kessier and goals uh, alongside him also goes from Alessandro Lorenzi, his first goal for Milan, and Teo Hernandez, who's also been a goal-scoring threat ever since he's gotten there. Um, and I should put a big mention to a guy named Nadim Bayrami, who plays for Empoli, who scored a really good goal. That guy looks like he's going to be a quality player. If he's not one already, maybe he's past his prime, but 
that's a player I'll definitely do some research on in a future future episode about players that uh, could leave their club to go to bigger sides and make them better. But that game finished 4-2. Lazio also winning, and Pedro, who I think has arguably been one of the most underrated players in the history of football. Yes, I do genuinely mean that, and I think especially at, at uh, Lazio this season, Pedro's playing like Pedro did back at Barca. He's taking over, man. Pedro is scoring every game, basically. He's been decisive every time he needs to be. He's basically Lazio's talisman when Immobile is not there. And that shows you that he's really a player that's, uh, you know, raring to show what he's made of and always been underrated. And now he's showing himself and showing people that he's uh, more than just, you know, the uh, supplementary winger that's just playing just to provide the occasional assist or score the occasional goal because he's going game in, game out at this point. Looking like Lewandowski at Bayern Munich. Okay, that might be a bit of a stretch. But uh, you get the idea. But just to say, the Serie A is another league to keep an eye on because I think it's really, pretty uh, slowly kind of starting to take shape and to take form. And it's making uh, the league, you know, competitive. And just the, the, the atmosphere surrounding every game is becoming more and more of a an enticing one where you feel like, oh, this could go either way. We're not going to see a blowout. We're not going to see a boring match. We're just going to finish nil-nil, which is often associated with the Serie A because of its slower pace and slower style or slower tempo of game. But I do think that the, uh, the Serie A has continued to hot up. And, of course, this is the midway point of every, se- every league season at the moment. And uh, that is often a turning point for many teams or also a down point for many teams as well. So we can, we'll see which direction teams go in. And I'll keep you guys updated as I love to do week in, week out. I will be back again, as always, to discuss the fixtures and the results, as well as analyze the results of the Premier League match day number 19, which for some teams is like 15 or 16, because obviously some teams' matches have been postponed, as I've mentioned many times. But uh, please enjoy as always, and I will get back to you guys shortly. Thank you again for listening. Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talk Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talk Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.